You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. We're going to begin with our reading uh, from 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, I think the stewards have got some spares. Uh, If you put your hand up, I think they'll um, bring you uh, a Bible. Um, Are there some Bibles? Yep, there's some hands at the the front here. And if you've got these Bibles, we're on page 1023. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us against uh, the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you, you want. Already you've become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We're brutally treated and homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Well, I'm going to... Uh, ask us to pray together as we look at this passage and study it this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, as the Apostle Paul says here, that we shouldn't go beyond your, your word. But we pray that we will dig deeply at your word now and that uh, you will be our teacher. That uh, what I say will just be uh, serving your glory, Father. And uh, that you'll teach us, not just in our minds and fill our minds with with facts, but that you'll change our hearts, change us so that we submit to you as our Lord and and Savior. Amen. 
I was uh, watching the TV the other day in uh, LA, where I've been staying, and uh, there was an advert on the TV that went like this, life is a game, but until there's a manual, there's X-Play. I'm not quite sure what X-Play is. I think it's a program on the, the TV. But uh, when I see an advert like that, I just want to get into the TV screen and say, what are you talking about? Life isn't a game. No, it's a gift from God. It's a calling to, to serve God. Um, what are you talking about? We don't have a manual. We, we do have a manual. We have God's Word uh, to, to, to use. It, it's amazing, isn't it, that we get bombarded all the time with messages from advertising, from all sorts of sources. Go on the Muni uh, train, you uh, go into a station, you open up your newspaper or, or magazine, and you're bombarded with messages. Buy this, uh, have this, look like, like this or whatever the, the message is. I was very intrigued. I was watching um, a film on the TV, Dr. No, and uh, uh, during the, the, um, the film, an advert came on uh, trying to sell me some wonder uh, drug, and uh, you know, it was going to change my life completely. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what it was doing, but it was going to change my life. And then it had all the warnings, you know, but it might cause my death, and it might, uh, <laughs> might cause my man boobs to, to grow, and uh, stuff like that. So, um, but anyway. Uh, the problem is we, we get bombarded, don't we, by this world of information. And the question is, how do we discern from, from all of that information? How, how do we discern the, the way that we should, should go? And one of the, the big challenges of growing as a spiritual person, which is uh, the, the theme that we're looking at in the, this series from 1 Corinthians, is that we can just lose the right information and get uh, waylaid by other sources. And that's what Paul says to the Corinthians. That's what uh, Dave, Pastor Dave, talks about last week, that the Corinthians were spiritual babies. They were still worldly, shockingly worldly. Chapter 3 that we looked at last week uh, starts by saying, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. So what's the answer? Just uh, more information? No, it's, the answer is a change of view. We need a complete change of view of ourselves and of other people. Chapter 4, verse 1, that uh, we're looking at today, it starts, therefore, by saying, this, then, is how you ought to regard us. Your view needs to be completely changed. True spirituality is about a true view of reality. Now, if my daughter was here... She wished she was here, uh, but she's studying back in, in the UK. Uh, she would uh, know that my favorite film, my favorite movie, is uh, Disney's Enchanted. I love that film. Has, uh, have you seen it? And I, I love it because it's about the clash of two worlds, two completely different worlds. There's the world of fairy book land, you know, two-dimensional uh, cartoon land that uh, the princess lives in, Andalasia, and then there's the world of modern-day New York and uh, Times Square, and this, if you know the film, uh, the princess falls down a well and she appears in Times Square, and uh, suddenly she's confronted by a very different type of reality. 
this three-dimensional so-called uh, world of so-called reality. And she goes to uh, this uh, homeless guy and asks for directions, and he nicks her tiara, and she just can't understand it. Yeah, you're not a very nice man, uh, and she can't un understand what, what's going on. And then there's a, a scene where they're walking, she's walking with uh, a divorce lawyer, Patrick uh, McDreamy, whatever his name is. Uh, um, <laughs> Uh, along through Central Park, and uh, they're talking, and, and she says, um, well, you're going to have a happy end ever after with, uh, with Nancy, your, your fiancé. And he says, look, I, I don't even know if I'll get through today. Never mind happy ever after. Life is complicated. And she says back to him the famous words, it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that's what uh, Paul is saying in, in Corinthians. It doesn't have to be that way. Don't listen to, to the, the messages that so often uh, we have. Dave, Dave Lomas, uh, Pastor Dave, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, talks about uh, the, the need to re-socialize ourselves, reshape your worldview. He says that's what the letter is all about, reorientating our perception of reality. I started work uh, as an intern for a consulting firm back in 1995. That shows how old I am. And uh, we, I remember I was taking delivery of our first Apple Mac computer. And it could draw boxes and circles. It was quite an amazing machine. Uh, but um, everybody else uh, in the, the firm had PCs. And uh, they ran DOS, uh, which is uh, the old pre-Windows pre uh, disk operating system. And uh, I was taught never to do something with uh, PCs, and that was to type in uh, format C colon and then press return. Uh, if you know about DOS, you'll, you'll know. If you type that in, you'll wipe your hard drive completely. Never do that, okay? Uh, don't write that down, format C colon. But we, we need to do that with, with our, ourselves. We need to format C colon, completely erase and start again uh, our, our view of reality, our view of who we are, and our view of who other people are, and our view of who God is. And that's precisely what Paul uh, wants the Corinthians to, to, to do, to know that their identity is not in being puffed up as, as uh, these super uh, Christians, but their identity is being children of their heavenly Father. Paul wants the Corinthians to move their thinking from thinking of themselves as kings to thinking of themselves as servants. That's the, the key theme we're going to look at this morning, from kings to servants. So in chapter four, he compares those totally different views of our, ourselves. After all, uh, servants and kings, they, they mixed together, but they have very different uh, roles in the world. If you've uh, seen the, the BBC show uh, Downton Abbey, I think it's BBC, anyway, the, the, the UK uh, thing, Downton Abbey, you'll, you'll know that there's sort of upstairs, downstairs, isn't there? A uh, very different uh, view of the world if you live upstairs in the opulence and of the dinner parties and the chandeliers and everything, and then downstairs, all very simple, and uh, people are, are quite sub subservient. And, uh, you know, it seems to us quite shocking, but actually, we need to understand that we're not upstairs, in, in the, the master bedrooms and the chandeliers. We are to, to be servants to the world. Paul uses two words 
uh, to describe servants in verse one. He says, this is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ. And the word there means uh, someone who is subservient to their, their master, who takes orders from their master. But then he adds another word for servant. He says, as servants of Christ, and as, as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. And that uh, word is the word for a steward, uh, someone who uh, is entrusted with the, the master's goods and affairs, a bit like the chief of staff at the White House, that, that type of thing. So in, in Roman's times, a steward was the highest ranking servant of a wealthy landowner. He was in charge of the estate when the landowner was away. So for example, this is uh, an example of uh, one master writing to his steward in ancient times. He says this, I've empowered you by this document to administer my estate in Arsinoe and to collect the rents, and if need be, to arrange new leases or to cultivate some land yourself, and to give receipts in my name, and to transact any business connected with stewardship, just as I can transact it when I am present, and to distribute the, the plots in Karamis, restoring to me what remains over, as to which matter I rely on your good faith, and I confirm whatever you decide about them." So Paul is very deliberately using a term that they would have been familiar with about the steward of a master's property. And he goes on to say in verse 2, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. The implication is the steward has been given a trust, not a stack of wealth to to do whatever they, they want with, but a trust to do what the master wants them to do with it. And what is that wealth? Well, verse 1 describes it as the mysteries of God. What uh, we've already seen in chapter 1, particularly of 1 Corinthians, is God's gospel of free, forgiving grace. Grace paid for by Jesus' death on the cross. The, The gift of becoming for free by a gift of God's grace, becoming God's forgiven friends forever that uh, Paul describes using this shorthand word, the gospel. Gospel literally means uh, good news. It's uh, the word used of uh, Roman generals when they won uh, a famous battle. Uh, They would send angelos, uh, angels, messengers, out from the battlefield to uh, all the cities in the Roman Empire. And the angelos, the, the messengers would go and say, the battle has been fought and the battle has been won. We are victorious, and therefore the enemy will no longer uh, be coming to, to capture you. You are free to live your lives in the city, free and at peace from threat. And Paul says that is the, the mystery that we, has been revealed to us as uh, part of God's family, that we are free from the th- threat of sin and death. We are free to live our lives as children of of God. Now imagine you're in the first century. You don't know about uh, uh, the the Christian message. And someone comes up to you and says, is salvation coming? And uh, you're a a good Jew. And you you say, yes, um, God's promised that salvation's coming. But when and how? Still a bit of a mystery, to be honest. And then imagine someone whispers in your ear, actually, the salvation has come. Jesus Christ is, is the saviour. 
when he died on the cross, he paid for our, our wrongdoing. The battle against sin and, and death has been won. You are free, you're at peace with God through Jesus. Now imagine you, you heard that. You wouldn't just hear it and say, oh, that's interesting. No, it's, it's a message, a gospel that transforms you. But it's not a message that you then keep to yourself. You want to share it. So Paul says we've been given this message, but then we're entrusted to share it with other people, the mystery that has been revealed uh, to, to us. So Paul's point to the Corinthians is this. You've received the ultimate gift from God. Now you're a steward of that gift. And he puts it very strongly, doesn't he, in verse two. You must, you must be faithful uh, to, to, to this gift. And what, what Paul is saying uh, may have been radical to the, to the Corinthians, but it shouldn't have been, should it? Because the Bible actually starts with that very point. The Bible uh, starts by explaining in Genesis chapter one that uh, God creates the world and he creates people to be stewards of the, the world. God is the owner. He is the master of the world because he created it. He made it. He owns it. But then he puts people on the, uh, the earth and says, you are my stewards. Now go and use what I've given and invest what I've given God blesses people and says, now be fruitful and, and multiply. Be my stewards on, on the earth. Jesus, on um, many occasions, talks about this principle of us being stewards, not owners of, of stuff that we grab and hold for, for ourselves. So the parable of the talents, for example, is a par parable about how we're to invest what we've been given for God's glory, not for our own uh, purposes, but for God's. I wonder what... You, you know God has made you a steward of the gospel message that you've received, gifts that God has given you, talents, passions, a mission field of people that you study with or work with, you live uh, with, who uh, you want to, to be sharing the hope of Christ uh, with. Resources, time, money, character, passions, all sorts of different ways that God has given to you. And now he's asking you, be a steward. Invest that for my glory. I love this idea of us being servants of, of others. It, it turns on its head the normal way of viewing people. The default view is to see people as objects that can benefit us, isn't it? So uh, we spend time with people if they can give us what we want, if they affirm uh, us and meet our, our needs. But a servant-shaped view of people is to see people as our responsibility, not as objects of benefit, but as people that we're to serve, our responsibility to be a blessing to them, to minister to them, to give to, to them as a servant. The idea of uh, servants turns on its head also our view of ourselves. The default view is to see ourselves in terms of our achievements and uh, all the acclamations and qualifications and stuff that I put on my Facebook page to make me look good or, or whatever that I, I surround myself with. But uh, the view as a servant says no, it's not about that. It's actually about what I have that I want to give away. It's not about what I have that I want to display to everybody, but what I have that I want to put up my shirt sleeves, bend the knee to people, 
and serve them. And also, this view of servants turns on its head our view of each day. I wonder when you wake up in the morning, what, what do you say to, to yourself? This is the day I've been given to pursue my dreams, to achieve uh, what I want uh, out of, of life, to, to get uh, that ultimate thing uh, that I've been longing for. Or this is a day the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice in the opportunity to serve other people, to serve my master and bring him glory. Verse 2 again. It is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. The measure of a servant is not performance, but faithfulness. And that should be my my whole drive. Now, um, I, I don't know if Pastor Dave has a performance review, and I don't know who would uh, give it, probably the elders of the church or whatever, and I wonder how the performance review of Dave is carried out. I haven't asked him this, um, but uh, I thought we'd do it right now. Uh, (laughs) He's away, so um, that's his fault for missing it, isn't it? Um, So how how are we going to review Pastor Dave's performance? Should we get a graph up on the screen with uh, numbers attending the church, maybe? Um, Or a number of uh, baptisms at the church? Amount of giving? Number of website hits? Number of podcast downloads? Number of invitations he gets to speak elsewhere? Number of newspaper articles about him? Emails in his inbox? The, the list could, could go on, couldn't they? But uh, all of those are, are nonsense, aren't they? That's all about performance. It's all about data. But actually, the question that Paul says we should be asking is, Dave, are you being faithful to what God has given you? There are three questions that we should ask. First of all, Dave, what has God given you? Do you know that? Both as an individual and as a church here at Reality SF, in terms of resources, time, and and talents. What has God given you, Dave? Secondly, in whom is God calling you to invest those gifts? It's a good question for the whole church, isn't it? You have amazing gifts here and resources, but who is God calling you to invest them in? Yourselves, to make yourselves feel happy? Or San Francisco, the Bay Area, and the ends of of the earth. And then thirdly, how faithfully are you administering God's grace in God's way? Not in your way, but in in God's way. Those questions, much less performance-driven, much more about faithfulness, about listening to God. What is God's gift to to us? How is God calling us uh, to, to use them? Those are great questions for you to ask personally. I'll just repeat them. What has God given you? In whom is God calling you to invest those gifts? And how faithfully are you administering God's grace in God's way? Great questions for you to, to talk about maybe over lunch or in a community group this week. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed before the Last Supper with his disciples, he took the role of a lowly slave and he washed the disciples' feet. Why did he do that? Well, it's really interesting. In John's uh, account of, of that, in John 13, verse 3, John says this, listen out. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knew that. So he got up from the meal and said, I'm king of the world. Did he say that? No. (laughs) Jesus knew who he was. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Why did he do that? Because he knew who he was. He knew he was to to serve. Paul Tripp uh, puts it like this. This stunning act of humble love resulted not from Jesus forgetting who he was, but remembering who he was. This was the holy mission of the Son's Savior. He had to be willing to enter the lowly uh, human condition to do the most debased thing and let go of his rights of position in order that we might be redeemed. It was a high and holy calling, and it was the only way. His identity as the Son of God didn't lead him to be arrogant and entitled, unwilling to do what needed to be done to accomplish redemption. No, his identity motivated and propelled him to do what his disciples were convinced was below them. Some might say that being a servant just makes you a doormat and is a sign of weakness. I'm sure that uh, is is how the the courses in in firms uh, around San Francisco, they would teach you, you know, be be assertive, stand up for for your your rights. But Paul knows that serving God as a steward of, of his resources is the most liberating, the most powerful thing that you can do. Because it's the way of life we were created for. That's how we're, we're wired by God. That is our calling. But to get back to the Corinthians, they just didn't get it. Clearly they were judging Paul and uh, didn't think much of Paul. We've already seen that earlier in, in the, the, the book. But notice Paul's response. He doesn't just say, you're wrong. Because they may actually have been right. Uh, he wasn't the most eloquent of, of speakers on the circuit. He didn't have the largest number of followers on Twitter or the first century equivalent of, of that. But his defense was very simple, wasn't it? Verse three, uh, he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. My identity is not bound up in that. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My motivation isn't, isn't to please you. Verse four, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent It is the Lord who judges me. I I, I rest easily. Yeah, mistakes, I've made a few. But I've done it Christ's way. And I'm forgiven by by Christ. Verse five, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. In, In other words, the only performance criteria that counts is fruit on the last day. It's not about acclaim now. It's about have we had an impact in people's eternal salvation? One of my favorite uh, passages uh, from the Bible is Luke chapter 16, uh, where Jesus tells a a parable, and then he he sums up the parable with these words in uh, verse nine of chapter 16. I tell you, Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. In other words, the stuff that we surround ourselves with, the comforts of this world, they'll they'll be gone one day. 
But when they're, they're gone, the question is, have you invested in people who will be with you and celebrate with you in the new creation? I'm longing for that day, that, that day in the new creation where I'll send a, an email around the heavenly intranet, and I'll say, you know, if you were at reality on, uh, just before Easter in 2013, and uh, you, we, we prayed together about being, being a servant, I'd love you to come to a party. We'll invite Paul to come. And, uh, and Jesus, maybe, uh, we'll, we'll invite. And we'll have a celebration, because that's, that's the fruit of, of today. The fruit isn't uh, you know, the, the um, laughter or, or the hits on, on the, the website or whatever. The fruit is, are our lives going to be changed? Have we invested in each other this morning as, as a church? From servants... To, to kings. The, the, the Corinthians just didn't get this uh, at all. And therefore, Paul uses shock tactics in this, this chapter. So, uh, verse 8, uh, he, he says, Already you have all you want, already you have become rich. Now, it's clear from other passages that the Corinthians weren't particularly rich uh, materially, certainly no more than Paul him, himself probably had been in, in terms of his background. But this is about how they see themselves rather than what they materially probably are. They saw themselves as the top of the tree. You know, the best church with the richest worship experience, the most powerful preaching on the planet. You know, they were the bee's knees. Does that translate? <laughs> yeah. I, um, I don't know if you've read the book Bonfire of the Vanities, but uh, it's an amazing book which describes this uh, guy who works for a bank in um, New York. And uh, the book begins with him driving his Mercedes uh, to pick up his girlfriend at JFK. And he's driving along, and he says to himself very smugly as he's driving his car, I'm king of the universe, or master of the universe, uh, he, he says. Uh, Look at me. And uh, as if you know the book or have seen the film, uh, you'll know that everything burns, basically. Everything uh, just unravels in terms of his, his life. But it's a book about you know, starting with that delusion about who you, you are. So what does Paul uh, use? Well, he uses some theological sarcasm. It's not just sarcasm, but theological sarcasm. Uh, because uh, let's look at verse 8 again. Already you have what you want. Already you've become rich. You've become, begun to reign, and that without us. And in fact, he's saying uh, the, the key word here is already. You know, already you have the riches that God promises we'll have in the new creation. You've moved that teaching about the new creation and you've shoved it into to the present and said, so we have it now. You know, we, you know, have new creation and heaven and all that, well, it can wait because we have it now. We're, we're, we're absolutely fine. And, and uh, Paul, Paul goes on, therefore, and, and says, how I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. Uh, in, in other words, just how I, I wish that, that we were in, in those riches, but those riches of the new creation earth, that perfect earth, there's no more tears, mourning, death, or, or pain. That perfect earth, it, it's not now. So don't, don't move God's amazing promise of that, that future home into the present. Try and make this home, uh, this present day, home. It isn't. We're away from home. We're strangers and aliens, Paul, Paul says. And therefore, our calling now, yes, one day we'll be kings and princes in the new creation, 
but now our calling is to serve other people. And then comes secondly, as well as theological sarcasm, he has a theological contrast, verse nine. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. In other words, let me suggest a more accurate view of reality. It's not one where you're, you're the, the Roman emperor with all your, your glad rags on. No, actually you're at the end of a procession. The emperor might be at the front of the procession in his chariot, but you're at the end. And the, what comes at the end? The conquered people in chains. The slaves. The people who are going from the procession, not up the steps of the forum like in the film Gladiator or, or whatever, uh, to, to see the senators. No, they're going to the Colosseum to be fed to, to the, the lions. Paul wants to say, wake up. See reality. Smell the coffee. Whatever. He lists the trials he's gone through. And he says, that's reality. But, he says, I wouldn't swap that reality for anything because that reality, that pathway leads, yes, it leads to death, but through death it leads to glory. It's a path we, we walk that doesn't lead to an earthly palace, maybe, but it leads into God's presence as we now can come into his presence in, in prayer, into his throne room of grace, and can know he's saying to us, good and faithful servant, to, to us. Verse 11, to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We're brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. But then he goes on, notice this. When we are cursed, we bless. We don't say, oh, woe is me. You know, everything's so hard. No, when we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Paul is glad. Extraordinary, isn't it? But a very different reality. Because he sees hardship not as uh, doing him good. He'd prefer uh, not to have that hardship. But in that hardship, he can still serve the Lord's good and the good of other people. That is authentic Christian spirituality. Seeing God's purposes. Seeing the good and the blessing that we can be in whatever circumstance we're in. Christ says this, and or Christ is described in this way in a very powerful verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The writer of Hebrews says this For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amazing verse that, saying, Jesus, as he walked to the cross, he said, oh, yeah, it's painful and it's shameful, but I, I, I'll endure that, I'll scorn that, because there's a joy. And right in the front of my thinking, there's a joy. And what is that joy? It's you. People sitting here, right now, it was us that Jesus was thinking about. He, he went to the cross and with all that pain, saying, I'm going to carry this because I want Dave. I want, I don't know people's names here. 
I want your name put that in <laughs> to be with me as part of my family for all eternity. That is my joy. And that is why I'm going through, through this. The Corinthians have been spellbound by a sort of stoic philosophy that said, free yourself from attachment to things and become rulers and, and uh, kings over everything. And I wonder if actually the spell that we're captured by is, is probably the, the opposite of that, which is uh, we hear the message, have these things and let them rule your life, uh, in fact, and you'll be as happy as kings. Eat these things and you'll be super slim. You know, play these things and you'll be instantly entertained. Uh, study these things and you'll get qualifications and jobs uh, like you've never dreamed of or, or whatever. And so the, the list goes on. And the Corinthians started to believe that lie. You know, it's, it's the lie, isn't it? You can be king right now. Have it all now. And who's, who says that lie? Where have you heard that lie before? That's exactly what Satan said to Jesus, wasn't it, when he was tempted. Satan said, Jesus, you don't want to go through all of this difficulty and then be crucified and everything. I can offer you a kingdom right now. Just bow to me, simple thing, and I'll give you everything that you survey. And Jesus said, no, I'm a servant. I'm here to serve. That is my, my joy. True spirituality is future orientated. Verse 5 again, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring things to, to light. As a Christian, I don't serve others generously because it makes me feel good. I give because that's my calling. My whole identity as a child of God is to be a steward of the affairs of, of God. Holding on to stuff is, is toxic. It will actually dehumanize me. It will make me into a thing like the things that I'm, I'm holding. But giving away is, is freeing, liberating. It's funny, isn't it, how the, the wealthy people of this, this world are actually often the most unhappy. And why is that? Because they're always fearful of, of losing it, always want more. But actually, it's, it's in giving away that we receive that, that blessing of knowing we're a part of God's, God's calling God's kingdom. So how do we do this? How do we move from being servants, sorry, from being kings to, to servants? Three quick ways. First of all, we need to bring our motives into the light. Verse five again, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. But don't wait till then. Don't wait till God brings it to, to light. Ask God to bring it to light now. Ask God to show us the motives of our hearts and then repent of, of that. Be broken by that and come back to God and say, please replace that with a motive of serving your glory, Father. Secondly, don't go beyond God's ways, but go deep into God's ways. Verse six, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. So don't go and listen to the lies that are being said. Don't go beyond scripture. Immerse yourself each day in, in scripture and go deep. Don't go beyond scripture, but go deep into it. 
See deeply God's glory. See deeply the riches that God has, has given you. The more that we're absolutely amazed and astounded by the riches of God's blessings to us, the riches of God's love and grace, not material blessings, but the riches of, of what it means to be a dearly loved child of God, to be able to stand in God's presence face to face and for him to smile back at us and to say, I love you, you're one of my children. That blessing, no money can buy that. The more that we're absolutely enwrapped by that, that riches, the more everything else will seem like glittering prizes that are meaningless, temporary, and actually fool's gold. And thirdly, move from talk to power. Verse 20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. To amend a phrase from C.S. Lewis, thinking about triangles doesn't make you triangular. And uh, I, I like that, it's quite, quite clever, isn't it? Um, uh, and I think um, to, to amend that, to say thinking about spirituality doesn't make you spiritual. Okay, so we can think about it this, this morning, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be suddenly super spiritual. We need to, to ask God to change our heart. This is a battle for the heart. It's not a, just about the, the mind. To use a, a Texas phrase I learned this week, uh, the Corinthians are big hat, no cattle. I don't understand that, but um, <laughs> I was told to say it, um, so I will. I actually read it in a commentary, and I had to get a text in to explain uh, what it meant. Anyway, uh, they're big hat, no cattle, uh, which means basically they, they talked a lot, and uh, you know, they were full of themselves, but actually had, had nothing uh, um, uh, uh, to, to themselves. It's easy to caught up, get caught up with, with ourselves, isn't it? And to, to forget our identity. I'm, uh, the story of the man at the airport, who um, it's a very snowy day on the East Coast, and um, the airport is just about to close, and there's one plane going out, and uh, uh, all the other flights have been cancelled, and they come over the tannoy and say, you'll, if you want to be on that flight, you'll need to uh, queue up or line up at the, um, the, the desk in the um, departure lounge, and we'll re rebook you. And uh, a line forms, and uh, this man goes to the front of the line and uh, raps on the desk and says, um, I need to be on that plane. Uh, that's going out, and uh, the, the lady says, uh, thank you, sir, you'll need to join the, the end of the, the line over, over there. She says, no, you don't understand, I must be on that plane uh, going out. She says, yes, sir, I, I, I do hear you, you'll need to form, um, you know, go to the end of the line. And then he says, do you not know who I am? And uh, at that, she picks up the tannoy and says, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, there's a man at the desk here who doesn't know who he is. Uh, if <laughs> If you can help, please come to, to the desk. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, it's good to sort of pop the bubble, bubble isn't it, sometimes? We need to do that, don't we? You know, come on, don't you know who, who you are? You're a servant. Don't think of yourself more, more highly than, than you, you ought. My dad um, was a pastor of a church in London, and uh, uh, he was appointed as a bishop. Now, uh, a bishop in, uh, in England is sort of a fairly big deal, and uh, you know, wear lots of red robes, and uh, you're a member of the House of Lords, and you, you have a ring, and uh, you know, people are meant to kiss his, his ring, and all this sort of uh, ridiculous rubbish uh, that uh, English people do. And um, when my, my dad was appointed at his, uh, uh, the service where he was um, made a, a bishop, 
he uh, explained to me that he decided to uh, hold in his pocket a piece of toweling uh, and a face cloth uh, in, in his, his pocket, so that every time he reached down in his pocket for his keys or, or whatever, he'd feel the toweling and remember, you're a servant. You're not a king and a prince, you're a servant. And uh, I, I'd like us to do that to, today. So later on, we're going to share uh, the, the Lord's Supper and uh, bread and, and wine. And there's going to be some towels, uh, and you can cut a little piece of, of toweling and put it in your pocket just to remember this this week. Paul says in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ served us, served me, served you, ultimately with the ultimate treasure of forgiven friendship with God, new life raised to God's sight so that we can talk to God, know him face to face. Is that treasure what is in your heart? Is that what you long to share with other people? You can only share what you've received. So let's ask God that we receive more. There was a church for ducks and uh, this, this church, the Ducks used to go to the church every Sunday. Uh, it met in a middle school somewhere in San Francisco. And uh, the, the, the Ducks would uh, waddle in to church and they'd sing a few hymns. And then the preacher duck would waddle up to the front and give a sermon. And um, one, one Sunday, the preacher duck waddled up to the front and gave a sermon. And it was a rousing sermon about, we're ducks. We don't have to waddle. Ducks can fly. And uh, it was an amazing sermon, and at the end uh, they sang a hymn, and uh, they all uh, went out, and uh, the preacher duck was at the, the back and shook everybody's feathers or whatever, and, um, and everybody said, thank you, preacher duck, that was a, a very wonderful sermon, a really helpful, thank you ever so much for, for, for that. And then one by one, the ducks waddled home and never thought about flying ever again. That's the danger, isn't it? Well, we're going to pray now, and we're going to go into a time of uh, response. And as we do, let's pray that we will be changed by God, that we'll die to self, die to, to our ambition to hold things, die to our ambition to have these glittering careers or possessions or relationships or whatever, that we make an idol, die to those and say, so my ambition is to serve my Lord by serving people day by day. But let's now uh, stand and, uh, as we pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do ask that we will have a renewed vision of your riches and your favor this morning. 
and we ask that we'll die to, to self and our ambitions, that you'll bring them to light to, to us now, and that we'll turn instead to kneel before your throne and to receive from you. Thank you, Father. Amen.